How's it going, everybody? My name is Josh, and this is Logan, and we're coming to you from J.R. Heller with another episode today. We're going to talk about the difference between purchasing a manufactured mobile home and a single-family property. Yeah, definitely a lot of pros and cons there. Um, more cons and pros, in my personal opinion. Um, or buying a mobile. Yeah, buying a mobile or manufactured um, versus a single family. I mean, first and foremost, the single family is more of an asset, and it's going to appreciate over time. Um, the, the mobile or the manufactured home, realistically, is just going to decrease over value oh, in value over time. Um, which means that the property itself is not going to get a return on it if you were to buy it in 2023 and then try and sell it in 2035. Um, historically, unless the property is not maintained at all, um, any property that you buy and live in and maintain is going to sell for a profit come 10, 12 years down the road. So the problem with uh, manufactured mobiles versus single family is that they're basically... Uh, through the state and through the government entities, they're basically considered vehicles. Yes. Sir. And so what does your vehicle do? Does your vehicle grow up in value or does it go down in value over time? And we're not talking your Lamborghini or Ferrari. <laughs> Which those still historically will go down. Yes. Even more, there's a very few amount of very rare cars that go up in value. And those, and that's because they're collectibles, right? Exactly. They drive them in their, their garage. Just like Pokemon cards. Exactly. Man, I literally had a freaking holographic Charizard when I was a kid. That thing's worth some money right now. Yeah, Jess just told me about the one that sold for like $5 million. There was one car that sold for like $5 million. I think that was the Pikachu that Logan Paul. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was out. Anyway, so unless Logan Paul is going to buy your mobile, yeah. um, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't consider it too much of an asset. You know, there's certain times and scenarios where, yes, if, you know, buying a mobile is the way to go, then it is. Um, but you would be surprised. There's actually a lot of single family homes or even townhouses or properties that you could get into that would be way more beneficial for you equity wise over time than purchasing a mobile. Yep. There's, there's ways even out and I'll let you say what you're going to say, but there's ways even to, to purchase a property that's in distress on an FHA loan that you can get the repair money as well to fix that up and then actually force appreciation. That might be a better bet yep. than buying a mobile. Yeah, no, exactly. And not only that side of things, using the 203K, is that what you're referring to? Um, to get the loan amount for the repair cost. But I was even thinking, I have a client now that I'm working with and they don't have a ton of money um, right now for out of pocket. And if you just find a home that you like, you can do a 0% down program and then, you know, potentially get some seller assist. Uh, buyers have some some negotiating power right now. Yeah. And then be able to utilize that to be able to get yourself in a home for next to no money out of pocket. Yeah. Um, now, of course, you need to get approved from a credit standpoint. So if your credit's in it, you know, not so good, but you have some cash, then, you know, maybe purchasing a property outright is going to be your best bet. And if you have less than $100,000, mobiles and manufacturers are going to be a uh, much easier purchase for you unless you buy a distressed, you know, town hall, townhouse. Of course, depending upon your area, just speaking to our, you know, South Central Pennsylvania region. Yeah. And the other side of that is um, the lot rent, right? When you purchase a mobile home, unless it's on private land, which if you are going to purchase a mobile, that's the way I would 
recommend that you do that yep. instead of in a park. The reason being you're you're almost a tenant, man. You're you're almost renting because you're renting the land that's underneath of you and you're paying lot rent every month. On addition to, you know, if you got a manufactured home loan, on addition to your mortgage, you're paying lot rent. And then they also are going to dictate, you know, rules and regs for what you can and cannot do within that park. Um, so, you know, while there's some benefits to purchasing within a park, um, obviously, you know, it, it's, I guess it's different for everybody, but I would suggest if you are gung-ho and finding a manufactured property to try and find one on land that you will own as well. So you're not paying that lot rent. Yeah. I mean, living in a park is similar to an HOA, right? And it's actually, I mean, when I'm filling out my paperwork, it's the exact same thing. I mean, you're saying that it's a HOA or a condo association. Um, essentially, they're going to cover, depending upon the, your cost and relationship with them, you know, water, sewer, trash, uh, lawn maintenance, snow removal. And, and, you know, there's probably larger and smaller packages that you can buy um, based on what your needs are. Um you know, but they're going to put restrictions on like pets. Um, and that's, there's going to be an additional fee, like Josh alluded to. I mean, you're basically a tenant. Um, you know, you can't live the life that you're choosing to live without their permission, essentially. Well, and the differences between like an HOA and a park is like HOA fees. Like if you're talking like average, you know, you're not in like Bank Creek, but like if you're talking about average HOA fees, 80 bucks a year. I mean, some are like 90, 100 bucks a month if you get into like some of these fancier ones that like cover a lot of stuff. Whereas like on mobile, you're going to expect to pay three, $400 a month just in lot rent. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're renting the land. You don't own the land. You own the mobile or the manufactured home, but the land you're renting. So land is very valuable versus like you're saying, I mean, some HOAs around here, you can pay a hundred bucks a year, which, you know, is next to nothing because all they're doing is common area stuff. They're making sure wow. that your sidewalks are still okay and your parks are still okay. And that's it. In my mind, if I had a choice, I would rather rent. If I can't if I can't buy a single family home now, I would rather rent an apartment, not buy a mobile that's going to depreciate in value that I'm still going to have to do the repairs to and fix up if it needs something and pay lot rent. I don't. It just in my mind that makes absolutely no sense. You're better off renting and having the the uh, landlord fix all of your stuff that goes wrong in your apartment, save up money so that you can buy a single family. And you'll buy the land, you'll buy the property, and it appreciates in value versus depreciating value. Or work on the credit score in that time. Yeah, whatever, whatever the issue may be. Yeah. yeah. Um, as far as that goes, though, I mean, you got to make sure that the landlord's going to vet you. Make sure you're vetting your landlord, though, too. I mean, I understand there are some distress situations, some very a lot of motivation behind some buyers or renters. And they're like, hey, I need a house yesterday. Totally get that kind of, you know, beggars can be choosers sort of deal. Um, but you definitely want to make sure you're vetting your landlord as well because they're going to vet you. You need to make sure that, hey, this landlord has more than just this property or if this is their only property that they're maintaining it well and they're going to manage it well. Because last thing you need is, you know, living for, you know, some slumlord. Not that I want to throw that term out there, but there are those those folks out there. And, you know, you might have a, a broken heater or air conditioning and they're not coming to fix it for you. Well, and I will say to that, that there's a, a huge difference between your landlord that owns the property and is managing it themselves and somebody who has a property manager attached that's taking the leases and doing everything because, you know, obviously you're going to get a much more professional um, kind of communication with a property manager who this is their full-time job and this is what they do versus the guy who has a nine-to-five job and bought a property and is man trying to manage a rental as well 
and is taking all these loan applications himself and trying to figure out the game of real estate. That's the kind of guy that, you know, most likely if something drastic happens and a pipe bursts in the winter at 2 a.m., he's probably not going to pick up the phone. Or if he does, you're not going to get like quick service on that, right? I, I would agree to disagree. I would say the 80-20 rule, you know, um, probably the majority of folks that you're speaking on is probably more along those lines. But I also have heard some major nightmares on the property management side of things. You know, I mean, there are bad eggs in all you know, for all companies and in all industries, you know, so while that's. I speak, I speak on things on, on general. Yes. Yes. Obviously, you know, there's this exception to any role ever, but if we're looking at generalizations on things, you know, obviously all you can do is go with the best amount of information probability that you have. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Just definitely, uh, you know, there's one offs. I, I just know a few guys here locally. That's why, you know, I know, I know some property managers here locally that and don't then, do a great job. And then we can go into that too, right? So like reversing that on the landlord side, don't just pick the first property manager that you come across, yeah. right? Like that's another, like screen your property manager. If you yeah, know. that's what I'm saying. They're the ones who are screening your tenants. Yep. So like if your property manager is not on, then your tenant's not going to be on and they're going to completely demolish your property. You're not going to get rent. Um, and you're going to end up worse than where you were before you started. So don't yep. be real quick to just hire a property manager, get, get references. I mean, that's the, the best way, honestly, is that a property manager can sit there and tell you anything that you want to hear. Um, but until you speak with tenants, you speak with other landlords that have pro- properties with them, you know, those are the people that are going to give you the real perception on, on how well they really are. Yep. Definitely. I mean, that's anything though. Yeah. yeah. You gotta, gotta, gotta look at the reviews. First thing you do anytime you buy anything on Amazon, you're looking at the reviews. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. So, um, but yeah, so going back to the mobile thing, um, you know, I would, again, I, what I would suggest is instead of, and listen, if your heart is set on a, a mobile manufacturer, but go for it. Um, but what I would suggest is if you are in your market and you're looking to be a buyer and you're getting frustrated because you don't qualify for a certain amount, you know, in, in your market or your credit score is not there or whatever it may be, maybe don't rush the horse and get into something that isn't going to serve you long-term. Maybe sit back and speak to somebody like a Logan or like me on the loan side and, and put, put together a game plan to get there so that you're going to be successful and you're checking all your boxes of what you're looking to do long term. Yeah. And, you know, as far as purchasing the mobile, unless you're going to buy a cash, financing is far and few between. I mean, most banks and lenders don't view it as an asset, so they're not willing to lend to you. So you're going to need to go to specialist lenders to find mobile home financing. That should tell you something, shouldn't it? I mean, like that, that should be a big red flag to somebody to say, okay, banks look at these as liabilities and therefore they're unwilling to finance them. Maybe I should be unwilling to finance them too. You know, they're there's a reason they don't want them on their books. Now there's a couple of programs, you know, USDA, that is a government backed program that's out there to try and help people get into mobiles because that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to help them. They don't see it as an asset class. They're not trying to make money off of people. It's government, right? So they're, they're, they're trying to help people get into them, but they won't let you do anything previous of 1976. That's for a reason. You know, there's a whole bunch of, and they won't let you do it unless it's on permanent fixed land. That's a reason. Can't be in a park. That's a reason. So all all these guidelines are actually there. If you you read the letters in between, 
this should be telling you these should be the same guidelines that you're living by that these major government-backed lenders, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, these guys, their guidelines should be your guidelines, right? You want to think like a bank. You want to think like the person who's lending you the money. You know, it. It's real estate is amazing because there is no sort of leverage that you can get in any other sector than real estate. I can go buy, you know, I mean, realistically, I you can go buy a $250,000 property today with zero money out of pocket that you can finance the whole thing. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's because the person lending you the money thinks that it's going to go down in value? Or do they think it's going to go up in value? Exactly. They don't even care if you don't. Well, they uh, they do care. Your DTI has to be for them to give you the loan. But at the end of the day, they don't even care if you default on it. Yeah, because, because they're going to get their money back. They're going to get their money back. Yep. They're going to probably make money on the deal, even yep. if they have to short sale. It. Yep. That's the crazy thing about real estate is it goes up in value. Why does it go up in value? Primarily the land. It's not the structure, guys. They're They're not making any more land. It becomes more and more valuable every second that we're on this earth. Yep. Which is why lot rent is so expensive. Correct. And also, it, the less you put down on the financing is more convenient for you to retain more cash in your pocket, right. but it's more beneficial to the bank. It's more right. beneficial to the lender because they're getting interest on every dollar that you give to them over that time span. They don't expect you to make additional payments. They don't expect you to refinance. No. Now, most people do those things if they're educated enough, but... They don't expect that. They think, hey, I got a 30-year loan at 0% down. They're bringing in the money. Well, this is what you got to realize, guys, is that the lending industry is a business in itself. We cannot make money in this industry unless you borrow money from us. So the government prints money and gives banks money so that they can go lend it out to you and make interest on it. And not only that, they make interest on the loan. The servicer makes money from servicing the loan. And then it gets sold to Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, so that there's more liquidity back to the banks to repeat the process, right? So it's a never-ending cycle. So that's what you got to realize, guys. Use these programs to your advantage. Don't worry about, oh, I'm never going to get approved for a $100,000 loan or $200,000. Yes, you will, because there's, there's guidelines in here that make it very achievable for the average person to get pre-approved to purchase a property. That's the way that the banks run. They, they need it to continue. And guess what happens? When more people are unable to qualify for a, pro, for a, for a loan, they change the guidelines. Yep. They're in complete control. The, the credit score requirements go down. The DTI goes up. They, they just change it. That's all yep. they do. They're constantly doing it. Every single day, they're changing guidelines. LLPAs go away. Loan level price adjustments go away. Makes it more affordable for home buyers to purchase property. It's, you know, it's, it's ever-changing. So don't disqualify yourself without actually reaching out to somebody who can speak to you professionally on on where you're at currently. Yeah, that was what I was about to touch on. I mean, I tell everybody this, and I think I said this in other videos, you always want to reach out to a professional first and foremost. I appreciate you doing your, your own research. I will always tell you to do your own research and due diligence, especially when it comes to like neighborhoods, because I'm legally not allowed to tell you where to and where not to buy. You have to do your own research on that, and I can prov provide you some different you know, resources to, to review on that. But realistically, you want to talk to a professional sooner than later because they're going to be able to set you up for success even if you're not going to be ready for another two or three years. Yeah. I have some clients I've been working with for three years, and that's for a reason because they weren't quite ready at the time, and we've been kind of working together to figure out, okay, well, I think that this point in time is when we're going to be ready, whether it's your credit, whether it's your saving money, whatever it may be, and we're going to find a way to get you to where you want to be in that time frame. 
It's also setting realistic goals though, too. I mean, you can't say, hey, in three years, I want to buy a million dollar property and bring in $30,000 a year. I mean, right. I, I can't make money come out of thin air, but I can, I can realistically work with you. And if you have a realistic goal in mind, we can make that happen. And you might be further along than you think. Yeah. And that happens a lot, actually, yeah. is that I think there, there's still even a misconception out there that like you need 20% down in person. Very often. It's crazy. Yeah. It's so wild because it, it like, and then, and then the like the USDA or like the zero down or even three and a half percent down gets toted as like a scam or something. Yeah. When they're literally government backed products that yeah. are like out there to, to help people who don't have as much money buy a property. Yeah. So let's just get it out there. Zero percent down is the least amount that you can put out of pocket on a home. Um, and with seller assist, you might even get paid to buy the home. You, know, you might even get paid to purchase a home depending upon how the deal is structured. We literally, we have, uh, one, almost two now this month that um, are going to close that they're literally getting money back. Money is coming back into their pocket from, from purchasing a property. I mean, that's pretty crazy. And, and you might think that, you know, that's not possible or why would the seller do that? Well, the seller may be netting the same, if not more, when it comes to settlement. You know, if, you know, you can take 6% seller assist, if you offer them 106% of their list price. So you're covering that 6% and the closing costs don't equate to that full 6%. Well, the sellers are netting the same amount of money that they originally were bargaining for on the list price. Yep. And then the buyer is still walking away with some money in their pocket because yep. the seller came out of pocket to cover that 6% and maybe it was only 4% needed for closing costs. So they're walking away with 2% in their pocket yep. as a buyer. Yeah. And the other thing you got to remember too is, you know, sellers don't really ask what they want for the property. They, they ask more than what they want for the property. Yeah. So when you're in a buyer's market, don't be afraid to make a full ask or a little over ask offer with seller's assist on it because it's likely that you can get it. They're, they're not really looking at it as, I mean, you think about somebody selling their property they've been in for five, 10 years. They probably have a whole bunch of equity built up in that property. Yep. So it's not like they're scratching by just enough to pay their mortgage off. They're going to probably net a good significant amount of money. And if you're coming at them and you're offering list price or more than list price with seller's assist, you're essentially like Logan said, netting them the exact same thing, or at least getting them down to where they would have been if, if they had to negotiate with somebody else. Right? Correct. So don't, don't be afraid to it's again, going back to some of our previous videos, it takes repetitions. Yes. Don't be afraid to make imperfect action. Just take a, bu a bunch of massive action. Put yep. a lot of offers out there. Go look at properties. You know, it, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Yeah. So don't be afraid. It applies to real estate too. Don't be afraid to go out there and make offers. Don't be afraid to ask for seller's assist. Don't be afraid to, you know, ring up your lender and ask, hey, and guidelines changed it all. Maybe yeah. I couldn't, I wasn't able to get approved a month ago. Is there anything, any new products now that I, maybe I can get approved, right? Yep. And, and again, going back to the speaking with a professional, make sure that you're vetting the professional you speak to saying, hey, if I do find a property that I like, would you be willing to put in maybe a lowball offer for me or, or an offer with seller assist? Because I mean, realistically, I wouldn't consider them professionals, but they legally are licensed and professionals they might not be open to doing something like that because they think it's going to tarnish their reputation. Yeah. Make sure you're working with somebody who's willing to put your best interest in mind rather than their own. Yeah. Um, and, and working with the right people, if you aren't ready from a credit standpoint or a down payment standpoint, 
they can work with you on the down payment side of things based on the loan product and potentially any seller assist. And the right uh, professional will have a credit repair specialist in their back pocket that they'd be able to hand off to you. So that way you can build that credit up so that way you're ready to rock in six months or so. Absolutely. And so um, going back to the whole mobile thing, just to kind of finish it out, the reverse of that is when is it good to buy a mobile? When you're buying the whole park, right? Yeah. So this, the same things that make it not great as a individual to to buy a mobile and do a uh, lot rent, make it amazing for the person who owns the mobile home, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you don't even need to own the, the mobile itself, just buy the park. Because if you're buying the park, you're buying the land. And then, you know, if you have 20, 30 lots on that one park and you're making 400 a month off of each one, even if you're doing the property management yourself, the property maintenance yourself, I would probably find a professional myself. But if you have the time to do it, I mean, $400 on each lot, I mean, what's that? 12 grand, yeah. 12 grand a month that you're making off of just the land. And all you need to do is mow each grass and make sure, you know, if it, obviously there's going to be expenditures in terms of, you know, heating and cooling and yeah. water, sewer, all that stuff. But 12 grand a month, you're going to be able to afford that. Well, <laughs> and, and that's why, you know, again, going back to why it's really not advantageous, you know, to purchase a mobile on, on rented land is because again it comes back to the rental thing and you're you're basically a tenant and you're you're renting out you know now it's actually worse than being a tenant in my mind because now you actually own the mobile and our responsibility for doing the repairs on the mobile and you're a tenant who has to rent the land that's underneath you i mean i think that's actually a step worse than being a tenant in like an apartment complex um so that's kind of you know, my standpoint on it and uh, kind of the differences between manufactured properties, single family homes, some of the loan guidelines and everything like that. But is there anything else you wanted to add before we wrap up? No, I mean, just kind of going back to the whole, make sure you speak to somebody who's educated in the field. I mean, you got to make sure that you're being fed the right information because there's a lot of nonsense on the internet. So you might be doing research and think that you're getting somewhere. And I'm sure there is some good tidbits in there um, that you can find. There's a ton of information online, a lot of good, a lot of bad. But until you have that conversation with somebody who you know, the trusted professional in your area, I mean, you're still kind of in the dark and not knowing which way to go and how to get started. Um, so the best way to get started is by speaking to somebody so that way they can point you in the right direction and get you set up for success. Absolutely. So, you know, if, if we can be of any service, please feel free to reach out. If there's any topics that you want us to cover, leave it in the comments below. If you got value out of today's video, please subscribe, comment, and hit the like button so that we can get some more content out to some great people. I appreciate you guys being here. Hey, thanks everybody.